When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that enables your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of the Bleat Lows Podcast. This week's episode is presented by our partners at Bet Online. Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all of your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the NBA playoffs, fights, and even next season's futures. And also, don't forget, MLB is back, obviously, because this is a baseball podcast. So, if you want to pick your World Series winner, you can bet. You can pick that on Bet Online. Bet Online is your continued source for all of your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so head to their website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code, which is Believe, which is the network that we're on, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, if you use the promo code Believe, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. The website is betonline.ag. Huge thanks to them for presenting this week's episode of the podcast. This week in the Carnassada, we are joined by Los Angeles Dodger legend, Eric Gagne. If you don't know who Eric Gagne is, I am concerned about your existence, and I don't know how you found this podcast, but be that as it may, he was a bad, bad man back in the day. We talk about how the fifth, or I'm sorry, how he stayed focused during that 55 save season. Well, we talk about the mind of a closer. We talk about a lot of stuff. Talk about French Canadians. Talk about Montreal. It was actually a really good conversation. And, uh, and it was good to catch up with them. So without further ado, here is Eric Gagne. This is Todd Lights, public address announcer for your Los Angeles Dodgers. And now, it's time for the Bleed Los Podcast with your hosts Alonso and Juan. And Alicia Del Valle. With the baby face gimmick in the sky, Roger. And this week in the Canasada, we are joined by uh, by one of the best to, <clears throat> to ever do the damn thing uh, as a closer in, uh, in Major League Baseball, Dodger legend, Eric Gagne. Eric Gagne, how are you doing? Great guys, thanks for having me over, man. That's awesome. I hope we're gonna have a good, good little talk. Yeah, no, look, looking very much forward to it. You, uh, you, uh, you, you, you were just at the stadium. You were there uh, for for opening day, and you were with a friend of the Carnazada, Jaime Harin. How was everything? It, it looked great. I was jealous that I couldn't be there, but obviously I'm not Eric Gagne, so how was it all? <laughs> it was a it was a lot of fun. I mean, just first of all, just to see the stadium and do uh, what they did in the back and everything else. That looks beautiful. I think it's. No, you really feel like you're entering a stadium. They got all the new stuff around the new uh, the new bars. I saw a little speakeasy by the visitors bullpen. Uh, it was amazing just to see the fans. I was in there talking to the fans a lot, and everybody's really excited to have me there. And I was really, really honored to be there, and especially for me. He was there. He's been there for like 64 years. So for them to ask me to be there, be one of the six guys there, was very is an honor for me to be there. 
Was that, had you been back since, uh, since you'd left or was that one of your first times back? I went back probably two or three times. I've been, I think since maybe since 2010, I think I came back maybe three or four times. I watched a playoff game when it was 105 out, uh, the 18 innings. Uh, I've watched a couple of games, but I haven't really been back that much, but uh, I try to go back once in a while. Eric, I wanted to ask you about that. Uh, The fact that they asked you, uh, it it was very interesting to see the players that were standing behind Jaime. Did you already have a relationship with Jaime or why were you one of the chosen six there to to be with a legend? Well, I think me and Jaime had a really good relationship when I pitched. They used to call me El Canon and all that stuff. So I think for me, we always talked and I think we had something where he was Spanish, I was French, and I always had, you know, he understood that I really had a hard time when I came in the game, speaking English and everything else and learn. I think we kind of bond on that. And he's always been super nice to me. And, you know, I don't know why exactly why he wanted me there, but it's, it's a privilege just for me to be there and represent the Dodgers and represent Jaime, how he's done for his career, of, you know, what he's done for the Dodger fans, what he's done for Dodger Nation. And I just couldn't pass on that. I just wanted to be there and be at Dodger Stadium, see the fans and really – be part of be part of it. So the people standing behind them were behind him were the people he wanted there. He invited. And for those of you who don't know yet, there was Valenzuela, Nomar was there, Rick Monday, Eric Gagne was there. Uh, you know, it, it's funny you mentioned that you struggled with English when you first came. I think a lot of us, especially here being a, a Latino podcast, we just assume that the immigrant experience is through the Latinos. We never <laughs> assume that the Canadians, you know, are, are immigrants also. I heard, and I don't know whether this is true, so I need you to confirm that you learned English by mm-hmm. watching TV because that's how I learned English. My parents yeah. were first generation, only spoke Spanish. So I was glued to cartoons, and that's how I learned English. I went to school saying yabba dabba do, thinking it was perfectly normal. <laughs> Is that true? Is that how you learned English? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I used to watch Saved by the Bell, all the little shows that were, you know, brainless shows and just kind of more comedy. Like, you could really actually understand when they're laughing. When there's laugh in the crowd, I was kind of, okay, that's how I need to do it. And I kind of learned that way. I mean, music is a huge, huge help for me. I've, I used to listen to crazy me i knew every single word but i didn't know what they meant and then uh, now i'm really i love hip-hop because of the beats and everything else it really put me into that mode of listening a little more but it was music and radio i mean just listen as much as i could but music and tv was basically what taught me english what is your favorite hip-hop artist who who is what is your favorite hip-hop artist and who are you listening to now Oh, I mean, Drake, Eminem, I mean, Jay-Z, Hugo, Nas. Uh, I can go all the way back. It's weird because a French-Canadian guy that listens to rap that much is pretty <laughs> weird. But, you know, we're French-Canadian, so we're a little different there. But I, I listen to everything. I really do. I started getting into country a little bit more. And I was a little more, uh, it's a little more pop now. So I kind of got into it a little bit. But uh, I learned English in Oklahoma. So I had to listen to some country, but. Never really got into it much. I was always been, you know, I love EDM. I love, I love everything. I really do. I love the new DJs now that do the old remix with old songs. I love that. So you, you first, you, you came to Oklahoma, right? That's where your first experience, like we've talked about it with Diego Cartaya and, uh, and other players. Really, how hard is it to not only have to be on your A game to play baseball, but you also have to struggle with the language. How do you communicate with your teammates when you haven't mastered the language? What's that experience like? 
Well, you don't want to know the first words I've learned, you know, being a baseball <laughs> clubhouse, being with a bunch of guys and just starting to learn English that, you know, they're going to try to get in their jokes in. And then, you know, I think it was, it was actually really easy for me. Not easy. It was, it was fun to learn because the guys really helped me. The teammates helped me to, then, you know, all the people there is a really small city in Seminole, Oklahoma. So that made it a lot easier because the people were so re really, really receptive to me and they understood I didn't understand anything. So I would have to go to McDonald's, order uh, Cumber number one. And every time they asked me for super size, I, did, I was locked. I didn't know what to say. So, you know, every night you go to bed, you're like, hey, tomorrow I got to ask for my breakfast, my lunch and dinner. I got to ask those, super, you know, different questions. I would prepare myself. But it was hard. I mean, basically I have a headache for a whole year, but. You know, it's kind of how you have to learn to immerse yourself in, a, you know, someone else's language. And I think for me, my best friends in baseball were all Latino players, I think, because I kind of understood how it felt because you could see, I mean, if you go in the minor league clubhouse, you got 300 players there, you're going to see the Latino guys being together and you're going to see the American guys be a little more together. And then it kind of, uh, you always natural clicks, I guess you call it. But I think for me, I didn't have a click. So I kind of had to find my way around and, you know, Latino players were the ones I understood more because where they came from and it was very hard. And I think it's, you know, you got to really learn the language and it's hard. And, you know, especially when you don't have anybody at your channel that translates to you. And I was by myself as a French Canadian. So it was actually a lot of fun, but a lot of headaches. Wow. So uh, this is a perfect guess. I guess Eric is officially a friend of the carne asada, considering he wants to hang out with all the Latinos, right, Alicia? Go ahead. <laughs> Absolutely, friend of the carne asada. Welcome to the click, um, which, by the way, that, there's a car club, Eric, called the click. It is. It was established in the 60s by Latinos in East L.A. So just a little. Yeah, yeah, a little history. Nice. <laughs> I love it. Um, I want to take it to you just mentioned being French Canadian in a clubhouse of 300, you know, minor leagues, Oklahoma. I your English is perfect, by the way. Um, I can't imagine what was this, 99, 1999. You come to the Dodgers, you're in Oklahoma, but why baseball? You, you are French Canadian. I know you have hockey in your family. Can I ask why you chose, you know, baseball so American? What, what, what made you fall in love or want to pursue baseball? Look at what I got right here. I got a hockey cup right here. That was my dream. <laughs> <laughs> That's my dream. My kids play hockey, goes to prep school in Connecticut. And, you know, my, the biggest thing for me, I've always wanted to be a hockey player. I love baseball, but it was only maybe a month and a half a year or so. And my dad wanted me to play different sports. He wanted me to do something else, be an athlete. And I picked up baseball and I loved it. I mean, every time it rained, because we didn't have any, we couldn't redo the games and everything and everything in Montreal, but it rained a lot in Montreal. So we played maybe 20 games a year. I cried every single time. So I don't know why. I just love the game. I don't know if it's because, you know, it's the way the game is played. I don't exactly know, but I was attracted to the game and turned out to be a good choice. And I went to Seminole, Oklahoma, and that's kind of when I decided to, you know, go all in on baseball and really push as much as I could to get to, as a professional baseball player and then turn out well. Yes, it did. And baseball loves you, especially Dodger fans. <laughs> I was there the other night um, for opening night. What a treat, right? Sold out stadium. I was excited to see you there. I did not know beforehand you were going to be there. I guess I didn't do my research, but it was so exciting to see game over there. And I know you didn't, you your teammates didn't call you game over but we did i had the shirt my daughter had the shirt i mean listening to welcome to the jungle while you walked out 
I can only imagine what that felt like because we know as fans what that felt like. It was electric. It was doomsday for the other team for that batter, right? And that's where Game Over came from. Did you like that nickname? Did you did you appreciate the t-shirts? I mean, people were wearing fake beards because of you. That's how special and epic Eric Gagne was to Dodger fans. Did you were you able to absorb it being so young and and probably really focused but I mean, it's Dodger Stadium, right? What, what was that right. like? It was crazy. I mean, like I said, that basically the fans helped me go up every day. Every time I got up and my body didn't feel right, the adrenaline kicked in because the fans, you guys just, you just, you know, you brought me up to life every single time. The adrenaline kicked in and that was amazing. It was, a, it, was a, it was unbelievable, the feeling. I can't describe this to my friends. I can't describe this to my kids. And, I, you know, now I'm starting to, I'm starting to really – get a grasp a little bit of what it was like. And it was unbelievable The you know, the game over came up a little bit later. I think it was Mitch was our clubhouse guy that started. He actually did the, uh, the face on the t-shirt and that stood, I think that stayed on the desk for like a couple months. No one really thought it was going to be a big deal. I started closing a little bit and then they started giving me a nickname game over came up and then they started making the shirt. So my dad bought probably a hundred of those. He was so proud and he got, you got my face and I'm like, man, dad, you can't do that. He would walk into clubhouse with it. He didn't care. He's so proud. So it was, it was pretty, it was really special. And I think, you know, now I looking back, I really, I really, really appreciate everything. Cause you know, when I was on the mound, not on the mound, when I was there a couple of days ago and I saw the video of me walking in, I got the goosebumps again. I, I mean, I don't know if you guys saw, but I was almost crying. I had tears in my eyes and it's just, that's what the fans did to me. They really brought me, you know, get me in a different level. I mean, when I got on that mound, that was my office and you guys were there to cheer me up. And it really, it was unbelievable. It was pretty special. And I just have to follow up with that scene. Okay. Welcome to the jungle. You already mentioned you're a hip hop head. You love a little country EDM. Who chose that song? I mean, it was perfect. And if it wasn't you, how did, how did that song become your song? The crazy part is it was my song. I picked it, but I picked it as a starter. And only time, you know, they asked me, hey, what kind of song do you want? And I didn't know what to choose. I was basically under the gun. They're like, hey, you got to pick it in the games today. And that was, that was my first start. So I'm like, all right, I'll pick Guns N' Roses. Because when I was in Montreal, I paid tickets to go watch. It was Metallica and Guns N' Roses together. And Metallica got hurt. He got burnt or something, pyrotechnic. And then Guns N' Roses came on. And they went, F you Montreal. And everybody erupted. They went crazy. There's a huge, huge riot in Montreal. I wasn't part of it, but that was basically the souvenir I had. And I thought it was kind of crazy, kind of fun. So I did that. And then I picked that song and it just stuck. And then when I became a closer, we kept going with it. And then the game over came up and then it just, it blew up. It was, it's crazy because it's all destiny, I guess. Yeah, bananas. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. Loved it. it was fun. And, and you, like you were saying, you were a starter. You know, you started your career as a starter and then you were converted to a relief pitcher, not necessarily a closer, right? Just that you, you were going to be a relief yep. guy. Yep. That's right. How hard of a transition was that for you? Cause you were doing this at the major league level. It wasn't like, Hey, we're going to send you down. We're going to work on this and that it, it was in season up in the, in the show. How was that for you? Well, it started in uh well, first of all, the Dodgers were loaded. They had so many pitchers. They signed a lot of guys, a lot of starters. And I knew I wasn't going to be a starter for uh, to start the season in the big leagues. So I told, uh, I think it was Jim Tracy. I said, hey, Jim, just try me out in the bullpen. I like, I've, I was a closer for Team Canada before, which is, you know, you can't really compare the two, but still, I knew I like to be part of the game a lot. I'm a hockey player. I knew I could go 
I could throw harder as a reliever because you only have one inning. You just because I'm an all-out guy, I like to go on the mound and you know everything I got. I mean, my nosebleed when I throw my fastball as hard as I could. That's kind of how I did it. And as a starter, I had to go 80%. I couldn't really gauge myself as well. And it just fit my personality better to be a closer. And when I did that, I asked Jim Tracy in spring training, I said, hey, just try me out there against it. They didn't want it because they thought I was a big prospect. So they just tried me out one inning and said, okay, we'll have you try to do two more two days later, see if you bounce back good. So I think it was two weeks left in the season, uh, spring training. And they're like, okay, we'll put you in relief. Then I broke the, the camp with the team as a reliever. And I, I threw really hard. And they're like, at first, they wanted to do a bullpen by committee. I think we did that for like two or three weeks. And I got a three or four saves against San Diego, Colorado, and, and uh, San Francisco, I think. And then Tracy came up. He goes, you know, that's your job. You, that's your job to lose. I'll go out there every time there's a safe situation. We're, trying to, we're going to try to put you in there. And then that was my job. After that, that was beginning to close it. And, and to your point about uh, just kind of putting it all out there and leaving it out there, one thing that I always enjoyed about you, you did not give a shit. But you just went out there and, and had all the emotions. You, you reminded me of a guy that I was around a lot, Ben Weber. Ben Weber, when he was on the mound, he, he was intense. And not to say that you, you, know, you weren't personable or anything, but when you were on the mound, you went out there and left it out there. For you, and I'm sure some of that also has to do with the hockey stuff, because as you know, hockey mm-hmm. guys also do not give a shit. They yeah. literally get thrown up against boards like it's like it's you know a walk in the park. For you, you know, when when, when you were having kind of those things like you were talking about, you know, the the nosebleeds, all that stuff. Because again, you seem like a really nice guy. Obviously, this is our first time meeting you, but I definitely wouldn't want to face you in in, the, in you know when you're on the mound when you're in, in go mode. Uh, for you. You know, what What kind of just dis- you decided, as you know, with baseball, it's kind of a traditional game. It's not really a thing where emotions are out there. What made you comfortable enough to just leave it all out there? Well, you know, when when someone started to take your money away from you and trying to, you know, trying to get your job, that's kind of what you do. You survive and you find a way. And it's a persona because the funny thing is I was in with the Dodgers. I used to walk in Pasadena, walk around and the fan, you know, there's a lot of fans there and they, it would stop me. And people, the funny thing is people are like, man, you're so nice. I'm like, guys i'm on the mound i'm not gonna hit you because i mean it's not the same it's just it's a persona it's something that you're trying to put yourself your mind into a certain mode and i think i was able to do that because of hockey hockey is exactly the same i was a goon in hockey and i had to fight but i never you know you you have to protect your players respect you know you don't try to hurt anybody else the same thing i felt on the mound i was trying to go out there and really make sure that they understood this is my mound this is my hitter this is my game you guys are not going to take it you know for me and that's kind of how the mentality I had as a closer. I want, didn't want to let my, my teammates down that it played so hard for eight, nine innings. So to me, it was just kind of, it was my job. You know, I went out there and battled as much as I could. Emotion was part of my game. And I think there's guys that can't pitch with emotions that you can't control or that's, you know, it's a negative emotion. For me, it turned into positive. I think, you know, as soon as I had a challenge, a fear or something, it would kick in. I threw harder. I threw, you know, I, the harder I went, the more control I had on my body and my ball. So that was good for me. And from you're you're from Montreal, right? Yeah. Everyone knows that Georgia Saint Pierre is 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 the goat of uh of that province, but of of the French Canadian athletes, I'm just kind of curious to hear from you because there's so many that we don't know of in the states because of hockey and all that stuff. Who aside from Georgia's, who is the biggest deal in Montreal? Oh, we got Georgia's by by far the god in Montreal and probably in Canada of all sports. I think and you know he's got such a following. But I think if you look at a guy like uh. I don't know, Montreal, probably. Russell Martin's a big name in baseball, too. You got George St. Pierre. You got a hockey. All the hockey players are gods. 
I mean, if you look at anything, it's hockey, and then you look at the guy like uh, Guy Lafleur, all these older players. They, they're the ones right now. And then Carey Price is probably one of the big names. But there's a lot of good athletes in Canada. I mean, the Quebec guys is not a lot, but I think Saint Pierre is our god. I think he's the guy that we look up to, and he's the way he's, he's the, not just the way he fights, but the way he cares about the game, the way he respects his uh, his uh, the guys that he fights and everything else. And you know, a lot of hockey guys are like this. You see guys fight, and then after the fight, they just go out and have a beer and just their friends. You know, which is crazy to for people, but that's the way we see it. We just see it as a respect. You know, we're going in the arena. We fight to death. I mean, I want to say fight to death, but you fight till there's a winner and a loser. And then after that, it's over. We're friends. We understand the job we had to do. So I kind of did the same thing. And St. Pierre does the same thing with his, the way he fights. And I think that's, it's kind of our, in our DNA, I think, French Canadians, because of hockey, I think. The reason I asked that is I was hoping that you would insert yourself in there with an elite nickname like <laughs> George St. Pierre. So I wouldn't go that way. <laughs> but again, it just shows, I mean, because again, you're, you, to this day, you're still kind of regarded as one of the more intimidating guys. I mean, I one of the awards that I wish they still had around that you won was uh, the Rolades Relief Man of the Year Award, uh, just because Rolades uh, equates to Burns. And I, I think it, they should have kept that, but I digress, whatever. But, um, <clears throat> but you, I mean, you have all the accolades as far as all that stuff goes, but yet you st- what I respect about you is how you still go about it as it was my job. And even though you went out there and, and, and did it at an elite level and you had two Tommy John surgeries, which we'll talk about in a second, um, you still attributed to that. So I have nothing but respect for you on that. End. And it's a shameless plug for MMA because I'm an MMA fan. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, it's my favorite sport, too. Just to see those guys, those gladiators fight and just keep going at it. And, the way, and they're so much respect because they make nothing and they just love it. And it's pretty impressive to watch. Oh, St. Pierre is my little god. <laughs> Hey, Eric, can you watch a baseball game as a fan? Or do you, whenever you watch a baseball game, you're always thinking strategy. You're always going, why did the manager do that? I mean, when you watch a baseball game, is it different than how I watch a baseball game? I think it's, I mean, of course, I look at I look at it differently, maybe from uh, the standpoint of pitching and at-bats. I'm watching a game around the Mets against Diamondbacks. And, I mean, there's so much talent nowadays. I enjoy, as a fan, I watch the, the, the talents they have right now. The young kids are so much better than we used to be. I mean, they're not, might not be as polished, and the older guys will be, you know, we're, we're, I wish, you know, they're not as good as us. I think that's the other way. Their talent is way better than us. I think you, you look at guys throwing 100 miles an hour, hitting bombs everywhere. So it's pretty impressive. I, I, I do love that part as a fan. I'm, I'm a baseball fan. So I love to watch the guys, the young kids, that just come out and be emotional, just start changing the game a little bit because we need to bring the new fans in. We need to you know, you know, the average age of a MLB is 57-year-old, the fans of MLB. And then you look at other sports, it's 47, 48, 49. I think there's a gap there that we need to really fill And how do we do this. I think it's being emotional on the mound. We talk about it. That people want to see normal people. They don't want to see machines or robots on the mound. They want to see emotion. That people will fail, they'll succeed. And I think if people understand that in normal life, that it's part of it. And I think if we show that to the people, that's how we're going to gain the fans back and make sure that we have the next generation of fans ready because it's a beautiful sport. I know it's a, it's a slow sport, but if you look at it, like the way I watch games, I mean, there's a lot of strategy, but if you watch the talent and everything else, there's something for everybody. If uh, I know Rob Manfred is listening because he's a big fan of our show. <laughs> Maybe they should hire you in Major League Baseball because <laughs> – it's really refreshing to hear a former player admit that the players today are better than they were when you guys were playing. The re- and it transitions to this. 
So recently, Clayton Kershaw almost had a perfect game, and everyone lost their mind on Twitter because he got pulled out. But they were Hall of Famers. They were old baseball players like uh, Reggie Jackson, who were basically just saying, how dare you? And and it just to me, it's like, look, we're not playing in that era anymore. We're not playing in an era. I mean, I love how everybody will. Sandy Koufax never would have done it. Hey, guess what? Sandy Koufax career got cut short because they pitched him so much. Fernando Valenzuela's career, Tommy. Sorry, Tommy. Bless you. Rest in peace. <laughs> but Tommy ran Fernando's career into the ground because he threw Fernando a lot. What were your thoughts when Roberts pulled Kershaw in that game? To me, I want to see him go nine innings. I understand what you know Reggie is saying, and I, that's what I respect. That you need those old guys. You need the old mentality to bring in that, bring in a little bit of this because it is it has been lost a little bit. I'm not going to lie to you. It's been it's been five and dive a lot of it. And back in the days, you wouldn't see that. You would call a guy five and dive as a negative thing. Now you go five, you're like, wow, it's amazing. So I think there's a there's something to be done. There's something to be done with a new technology, the data that we have now. I think if you look at the Kershaw situation, right? Kershaw has been hurt a little bit the last couple of years. He's a Hall of Famer. He knows his body. And Dave Roberts, if someone can argue with Dave Roberts, he's been there for seven years. He's won every year. I mean, you have Kershaw and Dave Roberts, both of them on the same page, and say, you know what? That was enough. To me, that's all I need. I, need, I mean, I don't need anybody else's opinion. You have the guy pitching and the guy that has actually managed him with him every single day. So it's like, it's easy. I wish I would have seen that. Of course, 80 pitches, nothing, blah, blah, blah. I understand that, but the up and down, we don't understand his body. He does. I know my body hurts all the time. So if I'm going out there and I know it's a long season, I mean, we're talking, I mean, we're first week of April. I mean, first week of the season. So it's, it's, it's you know. That's the that's the beauty of social media and the you know the scary part of social media. There's going to be opinions all over, but if you know the, all it is, there are opinions. I think what Dave did was the right thing to do for the team. I think, and it was the right thing to do for Clayton. And I think he wants to see Clayton on the mound. He saw how bad he was hurt when he was. You know, it's not easy to be hurt and watch your your teammates. You make all that money and you're sitting on the bench. You can't help them. And I think Kirsch understands that, and I think Dave Roberts understands that. They have a longer vision. The reason the Dodgers are going to be good for a long, very long time because of that. They have a long-term vision. They understand how to use data. They've made some mistakes before. They went crazy data at some point. I mean, we could argue they could have won another World Series or two because if they would have used just guts over data. But, I mean, there's a certain – I think the Dodgers are there. I think they understand how to use data to their advantage, to their players' advantage, and I think that's what they've done. They understand you know, how much – 80 pitches is hard on an old body like Clayton. And I think it's, you know, they want to go a long run. They want to win a World Series this year. Dave Roberts said it. And I think that's what they're they're looking at. They're not looking at short term and being, oh, good job, Dave Roberts, today. They want to look at the end at the end of the season. What have you done? How can we get be judged with a World Series? And I think that's what they're focused on. Uh, before I throw it over to Alicia, uh, the Bravos are coming into town on Monday. And so old friend Kenley Jansen is going to be coming back. So we're going to see him. I heard you in an interview once say that you were never really comfortable when you played with the Red Sox. And I, I know you think of yourself as a Dodger, that you are a Dodger. What do you think Kenley's going to be feeling like when he comes back to Dodger Stadium? Because you never had an opportunity, right, to pitch as an opposing pitcher at Dodger Stadium? Or did I did, I did one time with Milwaukee, but it's still, it was a little separate. It was a little far from, but it, it's, it's coming back home. You know what I mean? And Kenley is the greatest closer of all time as a Dodger. And he's one of the greatest of all time, period. So I think him coming back home is good. I think it's hard. 
you know, he had to, it's hard to see him leave because I think for me, it was, he's a Dodger, Dodger for life. But you know what it is? It's, I think he's in a good spot right now. I think he understands the game of the, you know, the, the business part of the game. And, you know, they moved on and it's sad to see because, you know, the fans don't want to be separated from this. They don't want, they want their guys to be there forever. But I think Kenley's going to be just fine. I think he's, he's in a great spot there. I think starting the season somewhere is a lot easier, too. You go to spring training, you kind of understand that. For me, I was right in the middle of the season. So for me to integrate myself, and it takes me a lot longer. I'm not very good socially with people. So it took me a little while to get comfortable there. I never really, you know, settled in really well in Boston. But anyway, it's an amazing experience. I mean, it's it was hard, but I think Kenley's – He's very smart. He's surrounded with a lot of guys over there. He's going to be just fine. He's going to be one of the greatest schools of all time anyway. I, I thought it was very classy of you to come back for that ceremony when when Kenley broke your record. I, 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 I tip my hat to you. Go ahead, Alicia. I do as well. It was very cool. And I am one of those fans, Eric, that was bummed to see Kenley leave. My question is, or I want to get your thoughts on two things. Since being a Boston Red Sox, uh, player was brought up I am of the belief that Dodger fans are the best fans in the world okay and there are a lot of East Coast teams Boston being one of them where they claim that they have you know more history or whatnot even though Dodger Stadium is one of the th- three cathedrals left of baseball but can you can you tell a difference can you can you somehow back up my theory that Dodger fans are the best fans and better than Boston and Texas and Milwaukee, where you've been? I'm putting you on the spot. I know, but I've, I'm very confident in Dodger fans. <laughs> Be careful, Eric. The chowder heads are going to come after you. How you <laughs> Boston knows how I feel. You know, it's like if you're good, if you're good in Boston, it's, it's a religion. And I think it's that's the difference. I mean, I'm from Montreal and the Montreal Canadiens. If they go bad, the city feels bad the next day. It's like it's a mood. It's a mood changer. And I think that's the difference, I think, with some cities. I mean, if you look at Philadelphia, Philadelphia fans are really hard. I mean, it's just it's a reality and it's okay. I mean, it's not bad. If you understand that as a player and you kind of play with it and, you know, that's our job to understand who we're playing in front of. That's our job to understand who we are and how do we fit into that certain market. And I think L.A. is a little bit easier for me, because I've had success. I mean, for me, of course, I'm going to love the Dodger fans a lot more because they cheer me on my whole career. If I go to Boston, I was booed. So it's like, hey, I don't like that. I like to be cheered. So, but I think you don't, you know, you don't want to pass on the boat. I think they're both amazing fans. And, you know, to me, good fans are passionate fans. They're fans that really want their team to be good. And I was the same way when I watched the Canadians lost. I mean, I didn't understand. I thought the players suck. They're terrible. Betrayed him, all that. But these are, just, like I said, there's just opinions. And I think it's part of the game. And if we understand that, if we put ourselves in their shoes and the fan shoes, I think they're all great fans. Great answer. Very diplomatic. You, you just it. triggered Alicia. Go ahead, Alicia. No, give, I, give them your thoughts on booing. I'm going to go to booing because it's actually become a national conversation here. Um, booing is, okay, I get the theory. If you buy a ticket, you have the right to boo. And there are some people on national radio shows now saying, yes, booing is great. It, it should push the players. I'm from the old school. I've been going to Dodger games since I was in my mama's belly. We did not boo our own players. We just didn't. And now it's become kind of a thing. And I don't want that to become the norm at Dodger Stadium. I mean, we've got the sunshine. We sell out more stadiums than anyone else 
in the country, we should have, we win all the time. You said so yourself, right? Dave Roberts, seven years, we've got Kershaw. We're spoiled. So to boo our own players, I just don't see how that can uplift them and push them to do better. What are your thoughts being a former player and being so revered at Dodger Stadium and like you just mentioned, booed and in Boston? Yeah, I mean, I think it's boo. I think it, as, as a fan, I understand why people do it. They pay their ticket. They think they have a right. But I think for me, I would, what I would tell the fans is like, we're not trying to suck. We're trying to be the best we can. You know what I mean? And I think, like I said, if we put ourselves in the fan's shoes, and if the fan put themselves in our shoes, we're trying to do as good as we can. We don't want to be booed. We want to be the, the best in the world. We want to make sure that everybody loves us. That's normal human behavior. I mean, that's just the way it is. But I think it's, I don't want anybody to get booed. I think it's the worst feeling in the world. I think I didn't want to get out of my house in Boston. I felt, you know, I felt like I was letting the team down, letting the fans down. Of course, as fans, we, as players, we care so much about it. This is our life. Ever since we were three years old, we're throwing baseball. I never worked at baseball. I always played baseball my whole life. And that's like, you know, to me, it's, it tells a lot about the passion that players have. And I think it's the same thing. If we understand the fans have a passion, they'll boo once in a while. I get that. They get impatient. I think it's a, it's a group thing. If one of the guys start booing, everybody else is going to do the same thing. They're going to follow and stuff like that. It's part of it. But I think if fans really understand that, hey, we're trying the best we can right here. We want to win. We're not trying to mess it up. We're not trying to to be booed. I mean, and I think if the fans would put themselves in our shoes, same thing the players need to do with the fans. And I think it'd be reciprocal and we'll understand each other a lot better. But I think it's part of the game. And People that complain about booze, they shouldn't. They should say, you know what? I did my best, and I wanted to do as good as I could for my fans here. And I think the fans will be like, oh, we know that. We agree, and then it'll be over. I think it's just the way that we're – you don't want to confront the fans, and, you know, it's just, I think it's part of the game. I don't want it to be part of the game to be booed, but I even I even when I play catch my kids, you throw a bad throw, I boo them. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm probably guilty as well. So. But you I, have it here. The headline's going to read, Eric Gagne <laughs> boos kids. I do. It's oh, really his own son. With the thumbnail of Eric like this, just thumbs, <laughs> yeah. down. Just thumbs down. <laughs> I boo my kids. I'm like, just in case you guys are not good enough, you got to get used to it. So. <laughs> I, oh, I see you're prepping them. I just, wanna, I just want to make sure that it doesn't, it's not helpful. If you're trying to get your team to win, it, booing cannot yeah. be helpful. That's all. And we're all, we're all in this together. I mean, all the players, I mean, we live in that. We lived in LA when I was in LA, we lived there. We're part of the community. And I think if you see it as a whole, because the, there's no team without the fans, there isn't any of that. There's no game without fans. So I think, you know, players have to understand what the fans are trying to do. They want to win and they want us to, to be our best that we can. And they want us to show that we care about their team, about their city. And I think if we do that, I mean, there won't be any booing. I think it's just the communication has to be done. I think that's a big, that's a big, uh, that's a big problem with the, for the fans that we lost is the communication we have with the players and the fans. There's a big disconnect there. You know, you look at the money, you look at this, but if you look at the human factor that we all care, we were three years old and all that, I think people would understand that, hey, they would appreciate the game a lot more if it was told a little bit differently, I think, instead of just, oh, this guy makes that much money, he should be doing that, blah, blah, blah. I think it's, you know, it's unfortunate, but I think it's something that baseball can do, just kind of bridge the gap between the two. Amen. I agree. 100. Thank you. <laughs> Eric Gagne. And I agree with you. <laughs> I don't say. Eric Gagne, <laughs> uh, a former uh, uh, Dodgers closer and CEO of uh, B45. Uh Still, still out here doing the thing. I, uh, I wanted to ask him because you, you've accomplished a handful of things that not a lot of guys have accomplished. One of them is winning a Cy Young. 
reliever wise, I should say, uh, reliever wise, that's that's incredibly difficult to do. But even more so as a closer, um, I was a pitcher, obviously not as good as you because I'm right here and I'm out of shape talking to you. Um, I'm right here too. I'm right here with you. <laughs> <laughs> but but you could still. I mean, I would allow you to boo me because then you would just body check me and and, and it's game over. <laughs> But uh, see what I did there, Juan? Game over. Yes. Yeah, game over. <laughs> well played. Well played. Um, well done. But uh, anyway, I, I was just kind of curious. You had the single se- You have the single season record of the 55 saves with the Dodgers. For people that don't understand, being a closer, I've always said this. If you want to be a closer, you kind of have to be a crazy person because it's not just something that just any pitcher can just do. Mariano Rivera, nicest guy in the world. No doubt he's a sociopath. He's insane because the way <laughs> to, to just get yourself into that zone, not really let the, you know, kind of the outside elements affect what you're doing because you have the task at hand. And also it's 100% almost always a high pressure situation, right? Especially in the postseason. So my question to you is, how did you stay in the zone that season when, uh, when you hit that record? Because that's, I can't even think of how I could stay zoned in for a whole 162 game season just without you know anything getting in the way especially now because of social media you know 24 7 you know news cycles espn all that stuff so for you how, how are you able to kind of stay in the zone and stay focused and 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 stay with with kind of the the groove that you were in because that's the other thing with pictures too so it's it's cycles yeah i can't even imagine myself right now being in a social media world that we are right now and the communication that the, the so much communicating stuff i can't even imagine I mean, I would, you know, I don't do a lot of social media. I creep more than anything else. I look at people and I don't try to post as little as possible, just positive stuff. But I think if you start reading, you start getting down that rabbit hole, you can be really, you can get out of your own, you can get in your own way, I think. And then there's guys like that that does it. They care so much about what other people think. But, you know, you got to find tricks and not getting too much, too caught up in other people's opinion and really get caught up in what my job is and what am I trying to accomplish. And really focus on, you know, what I need to do in one pitch. I mean, it sounds cliche, but it's, you know, I think for me, like I said, I think closers are like goalies in hockey. They're a little wired differently, I think. They know that their last, I don't know what I say, the last, you know, the last defense before a goal or the last guy before we get a win. I think it's kind of the same mentality a little bit, a little wired differently, a little off maybe. I don't know what you're going to call it, but <laughs> – I'll, I'll take off a little. That's fine. I mean, if people don't think you're okay, I mean, they might, they might fear you a little bit more, <laughs> but I think it's, uh, I mean, people are wired for me to stay in the zone was more just focus on little step by, you know, the process, but step-by-step understanding what do I need to do? Who's, who am I facing? Stay in the moment and really understand what my job is. And, you know, it was, I don't, it wasn't that hard now thinking about it. It was just trying to really do my job. That's all I really focused on. Just try to one pitch at a time, really keep the game, keep the team and keep the team in the game and really try to get that game over as fast as I could. And, you know, hopefully it'll be three outs and uh, get out of there. That was really my only thought. I kept it simple and uh, just trying to enjoy it. Enjoy the, you know, enjoy the fear, enjoy the challenge every time. And I, uh, and I agree with you with social media. I'm 10 years younger than you ish and I'm, younger than them and i i i'm still in that weird generation where i didn't necessarily grow up with social media but it happened when i was like an adult i even hate it now so i can't even imagine if you're a high profile person and they're just critiquing everything that you're doing or you know like like poor kenley i i i felt bad for the guy because at the end of the day to your point it's one of the best closers ever like you Mm -hmm. can't deny that and yet people are nitpicking him on social media and it's like when's the last time you went out there and threw an inning bro like what are you doing yeah 
So yeah. it's, and, and that's the other part too, is you don't realize the, the pressure until you're in that moment. That's, that's the other, you know, the other unfairness of social media is everyone just, I think has a platform to just critique anything and everyone. Yeah. I mean, I think like you say, you said it yourself, uh, you like, Hey, have you ever been on that mountain, bro? Like you said, well, no. So I think these are di- inner dialogue you have with yourself when you read those things, like they haven't been there. They don't understand. It's just an opinion. It's not really, you know, it's, it's value, but it's not really based on a lot. I mean, we understand what it takes to get an out in the major league level. We understand how hard it is to bounce back after a blown save. So I think, if you're a player, you really got to focus on that. I mean, social media is great. It could be a great tool to really brand yourself the right way and how you want to, you know, shape your branding. But I think you got to be careful. There's, you know, there's a, just a double-edged sword. You have to really understand, you know, you don't want to go into all the opinion things and all that stuff. I think you want to keep it simple, keep it where, you know, you brand yourself, you look at stuff, you know, you keep yourself, you know, kind of up with the social media, but you don't take too much, you know, too much out of it. I think you understand, we, we need to understand. I think the, the guys need to be taught that. I mean, we used, when I was younger, we were taught about, okay, be careful in gambling, be careful of this and that, the drugs and all that stuff. And I think they need that. They really need to, to, to tell the kids how to handle social media. And I don't think that's been done enough to, to really make it where, you know, like we talked about the discourse there is. I think social media would be a great way to bring that gap with the players. I think there's – how do you do it? That's a little touchy. But I think the players need to understand it's just social media. It's, it's, it's a tool. It's just something that it's a – it's just a – it's interaction. It's just more of a trying to interact with people. And if you do it right, it can be done the right way. But you got to be careful. You can't start going that rabbit hole, the negative rabbit hole. If, if you look at TikTok, you watch TikTok, you go on negative TikTok, you keep going, it's going to get negative, more negative, more negative. So you got to get out of there, get back into positive TikTok or stuff like that. So I think that's the same way as a player. You got to understand that people have opinions and that's all it is. It's just opinion. Yeah, the rabbit hole, as I refer to it. Uh, there's yeah. other words that I will not say that go at the end of it, but it, it's, it's still not good. I, I also, this is just me being the baseball nerd that I am, again, former pitcher. I've always wondered this about you because, again, you're, you're a closer, but you were a starter by, you know, kind of by origination. And you, you're one of the few closers that also had more than a couple pitches. Most closers have, you know, the, you know a, a breaking piece and, and a heater, right? In your case, you had basically four pitches, but one of them is something you don't see a lot of people throw anymore. Our generation called it the Spock, but the, uh, the Vulcan changeup. Where, again, I, I mean, I, it, you don't really see it. It's more like a forkball, kind of like a change-up situation. But I'm just curious, how, how did you come across that pitch? Because if I recall right, you threw a regular change-up, but you preferred the Vulcan grip, right? Yeah, it was a change-up. Basically, when I was younger and I got hurt in A-ball my first year, I didn't have a change-up or nothing. And I used to watch the Pedro Martinez pitch. And uh, I don't know if you guys know him. That was a long time ago. He was a pitching coach with the, Do- with the Dodgers in A-ball. His name was Edwin Correa. And he was a big man. Just He used to throw for Texas Rangers at 18. But he taught me a little bit about my changeup. My fingers are a little different. I always have a ball in my hands. So that's the Vulcan changeup. That's a regular changeup right here that everybody throws kind of now. And mine was just a little split more. That was more like a two-strike, and it would dip down a little bit. So it's just kind of – same. I always have one. <laughs> like a crazy person. <laughs> so it's just, it's just like I just picked it up because my hands are different than everybody else. I, I kind of picked up – two or three different grips from different guys. And I look at their fingers length and everything else and the way their arm action. So I kind of tailored my own, my own change up to my body. I think a little bit more. I mean, that's what I teach. I, I love teaching. And that's kind of, everybody asked me about my change up. And I think, you know, everybody's got different body. Everybody's got different, 
length of fingers, strength of fingers and everything else. I think it's, you know, it's just a regular change. But yeah, I think it helped me a lot being a starter, having two or three or four pitches and I could actually come in in the zone, give me a lot more options to get only to get out in one innings. I think that was a big advantage for me to pitch four or 500 innings as a starter and then become a closer, have all that, that experience on the mound that I've had as a starter. And, uh, and then with that, I, I wanted to ask you, do you, do you think, it was just a matter of you throwing as hard as you just threw that attributed to getting those two Tommy John surgeries or was it other stuff? Cause I mean, uh, nowadays it can just happen like that. Right. And Tommy John's just kind yeah, of, yeah, I mean, the mill surgery. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of things out there that I'm actually working on trying to see why we get hurt and reason. You know, there's people say that if you guys throw a lot harder now, and that's probably one of the, the, the causes I, I agree that a little bit, uh, as well as there's bad mechanics out there. There's people that don't eat enough, don't they drink too much, they're not hydrated enough. So there's a lot of factor travel. And then, you know, how many days you throw in a row and everybody's got different bodies. So there's a lot of variables there that we got. I'm looking into it and see, okay, how can I stay healthier longer? And I still throw right now. So I'm trying to do that with the young guys. And there's a lot of different ways of workouts. There's a lot more weights involved in the game now. I think there's a lot more injuries that way. So I think there's a lot of studies to be done and understand what an injury is caused from and what how can we prevent it as much as possible. I want to follow up on that discussion. So there are some old school players, mainly NBA players, but it's, it's all relative. Oh, Rodney Pete as well, football players that say they didn't experience major injuries because they played multiple sports. They gave their arms a rest. They gave whatever their, you know, sport entailed and needed. Do you think playing one sport all year, which a lot of athletes do now, especially young, can that contribute to Tommy John to need to, to injuries? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. I think an athlete, an athlete, if you use all your muscles, your muscle will be, you know, they'll be used to moving. I think it's the biggest thing. I think that if you do one movement over and over and over, it's wearing it there. I think you can go swim and have the same, you can go swim and get the same arm, arm uh, workouts that you would throw in baseballs. I think there's other ways to do this. There's other ways. First of all, just the wear and tear on throwing a baseball is very, very abnormal. It's not, it's not normal to do that. You're not supposed, there's a reason why our hands are underneath our shoulders. Our arms are hanging down, not over here. So it's like, you know, there's a reason it's there because our body's built a certain way. So I think the more you put your arm up, the more you're going to have injuries and more chances of injury. So how do you prevent that? I'm not sure exactly. Now, the, that's a fun part about having the data and the new technology. You can actually see that a little bit more now. And I think that's kind of what I love about the new, the new waves of training. You know, there's a lot of things that are really bad. There's a lot of things that are really good. You hear, you watch social media. There's guys that come up with different trainings, but I think the the athletes, I think the multi-sports athletes are the way to go. I think these are the ones that you know your body works, to function right. They understand they can dribble with basketball, they can skate, they can go run well. I mean, if you can do that well, that means your body is working in pretty good sequence. And I think that's kind of, I think baseball is going that way too. I mean, they're one athlete. They're one guys that can do, look at Shoei Otani. I mean, it's amazing to see him do all that. And these are the guys that you're going to see. You're going to see a guy that throw from both on, broke both sides and switch hitter. You're going to see that because I, I saw Pat Vendita. He was a lefty. He's a, he throws from both sides, throwing 90 miles an hour from that's amazing. I've never seen, I didn't think that was possible. And I saw him do it probably four or five years ago. Now you have a Tony does that. Next thing you're going to have a guy that throws from both hands and switch hitter. So, buddy, it's going to be amazing because of that. I think because your point is being a real athlete, I think you can do that. 
but this could be a PSA, Eric. We could tell parents, hey, mm-hmm. Eric Gagne said, let your kids play other sports. I don't know. I'm just trying I to would, I would, I would love that, but the problem is the money and travel team and the money and you know, the, with the whole structure of how sports is made. And I think it's it needs to start with, with, with school. Schools need to make the kids not play a full year. They, you know what? You have your year, and once that's over, we're helping other sports as well. I think the problem is you look at football and in, in college, the football is so much bigger than baseball or so much bigger than all the other sports. So guys are put that way. They want to, okay, they got to go play football. And then that's all, all year to play football. I think school have the responsibility to do that. The parents have a responsibility to show the kids other sports, which mm-hmm. I'm guilty of. My son plays only hockey and I wish he played. He started playing baseball a little bit yeah. or wrestling, but I think it's uh, the responsibility for the parents and then the schools after that need to really, gear into this make real athletes not just one-dimensional athletes and I think that's going to be I I think it's doable it's very doable I have one last question um I love your the humanity side of baseball you keep bringing up you also keep bringing up social media and it is super relevant super important I think you you can't ask young people not to be on it so I like your take about using social media, you know, to tell the history. I'm a romantic fan about baseball, right? That's why I love it. But social media, you mentioned how some guys, you know, could be uh, more involved or better at it. One of those guys, I don't know if he was better, but he was very active, was Trevor Bauer. And that's how we all knew who he was before he even came to the Dodgers, right? Because he was such Mm -hmm. a personality on Twitter, and, and to this day, he still is. And as a former player, as a Dodger for life, I'm, I'm saying that. Um, <laughs> what, what do you think about the situation that's going on right now? Not, not his case per se, but the situation that the Dodgers are in. Because if, if you do go on social media, you see fans, there are two sides. Uh, are you comfortable with letting us know what side you would take? Or are you... Oh. To me, you know, it's hard because it's a touchy situation. It's a lose-lose situation if you look at it. I mean, it's not it's not good in any situation. The Dodgers don't want to be part of this. They don't want to be involved in this. They don't understand. And then, you know, you have due process. You have to make sure that everything is done the right way. And then you have Major League Baseball into this. And then you have the fans' opinions and all that stuff. And it's very complicated. I understand. I mean, uh, it's it's really hard subject for me because I don't really know for real what happened. I don't really have an opinion. I don't want to have an opinion. I really don't want to do that because I don't think it's my place to do that. And but I can understand what the Dodgers are going through. I can understand what he's going through. If you know if everything is true or not true or this or that, I don't know. That's the problem. I think with being out there a lot, I mean, you're exposing yourself to things that maybe you shouldn't be exposed as much. But I think it's you know it's it's a learning process. It's a learning. How do you use social media? How do you use it the best way and everything else? But then once you do use it, you have to understand, all right, this, there's, there's another side to this. And I think it's very important to me. Like, I don't do social media as much. I do, like I said, I kind of look into it. I kind of understand, all right, what am I trying to keep updated to it? But it's, it's hard. I mean, I, it's, it's really tough question because I don't understand you know, I don't really know all the details and I, you know, not that I don't want to know. I just, I just wait and see what happens, what comes out of this, because I think it's going to be a huge, huge, huge learning, learning experience for all the next kids. I mean, that's, that's when it needs to be done. No matter what happens, I think it needs to be learned on why and how and 
really understand, hey, this is an example why you could or couldn't do it the way you do it and understand this, this is another thing that could happen. And, you know, you know, he's always been on social media. You can't ask him not to be on. It's kind of, you know, I think he, he understands social media as well, but I think it's, it's unfortunate. And hopefully it resolves where everybody turns, you know, is better at it after that. Hopefully, hopefully under baseball understands and the teams understand and the player understand and the fans understand that it's, it, there's a risk to it and manage it the right way. I think. I appreciate your passion. I know it's not really a good answer, but it's, you know, that's really kind of, <laughs> I feel like it's a good non-answer. It's a good answer. Yeah. You're, it's a learning experience no matter what. And I appreciate yeah. your positivity saying we can all learn from this, right? Instead of pointing fingers and being angry or it's, it's a yeah, learning I mean, that, experience ultimately. That's the, that's the easy thing to do is to point fingers and everybody blame everybody. Every, you know, in hindsight, everybody, you know, like Lloyd McClendon said, if you're not a good second guesser, you're an idiot. You know what I mean? And that's, <laughs> a, and that's true. I mean, that, you know, the, it's it's tough it's a tough situation it's nothing it's not a situation anybody wants to be in for anybody for any parties in this i mean the fans the you know, victim the fans trevor i mean the player the team the nf or uh, the league it's just tough it's a tough situation amen i uh i also appreciate that your your twitter which by the way your twitter handle is at eric gagnier 38 if you don't if you can't spell gagnier when you're listening to this if you then that means you're not a Dodger fan, so just don't, don't <laughs> yeah. ask that. But uh, but your uh, your title there is a social media influencer, and I think that's rich. <laughs> just, <laughs> it's well done, well done, sir. Uh, a couple more. And I got like there. I got four followers, probably right. <laughs> hey, you have six hundred and three. You have more than I do. And, and, hey, and truth, baby steps, quality over quality. True. Quality and truthfully, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Uh, someone asked me the other day, uh, you know, how many people follow me on Twitter? And because I don't ever pay attention to that stuff, but that's like the litmus test for like how popular you are. And I'm like, no, I graduated high school like 20 years ago. I don't need to, to do the popularity thing anymore. Yeah, um, I, uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, you, uh, <laughs> sorry, I just am thinking of the social media influencer thing again. That's, that's, that's well done. <laughs> So a couple more for me, and then I'll throw it to Juan to end the show how we always do with all of our guests. Um, for you, you bounced around between a couple teams, and I don't think a lot of people understand when you're when you're in the show for a certain amount of time, you carry your number with you, and you had to change your number for you know a couple times just because someone already had the number. They're in the show as well. How, explain to fans that don't understand that process how that is when you go somewhere and you want to have your number. Well, so that's a that's a tricky one because I was actually there's twice that I, from the Dodgers at 38. First of all, the Dodgers, my first number was 48, and then uh, that's again number they gave me. And then Buffett or Ramon Martinez came back that one year. And that was his number. 48 was his number. So then they gave me 38. Then I had the 38 number until I left the Dodgers and I went to the Texas Rangers. Texas Rangers run Washington at number 38. So I, you know, he actually offered it. I wasn't going to ask, but everybody knows if, you know, you're coming in, a lot of it has something to do with, you know, longevity of, you know, time on big league time and everything else, or sometimes salary. You know, it's just, if you can pay the guy's going to make less money, he's going to give you a number. And then hopefully you buy him a Rolex and stuff like that. So that's what I did with Ron Washington. He gave me the number 38 and I bought him a beautiful Rolex for him. And it's just kind of, it's kind of what you do. And then I went to Boston, Boston, it was, uh, Kurt Schilling, Kurt Schilling and number 38. So obviously I wasn't getting 38. So I took my number and I just flipped it. I put 83 because in the mirror it looked like 38. So that was, <laughs> but the problem is 
everything reversed too. I was doing really good before and everything was doing really bad after. So I'm like, that was a bad idea. <laughs> so that's a, that's the two times I didn't change my number. So. Oh, are you superstitious, Eric? Are you, are you one of those old school baseball players? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think it's superstition. I think it's just the thought process. <laughs> that's what we call it. We call it that. Let's call wait, it that. So we're not doing, we don't sound too crazy. That's true. Well, can I say that to my wife? My wife is like, you're, you know, your, your, your creature habit superstitious. I'm like, that's not real. We, this is just how I operate. That's not a, it's a mindset. That's a, it's a routine. Uh, it's a routine. Got it. A routine. Because yeah. I, right. yeah, I mean, I, right. I, I'm, I'm sure Eric's the same way. You know, you, right. you, once you're stuck in a routine, that's just kind of it. And then get out yep. the damn way. I yep. love it. That's right. Uh, and I wanted to ask you about the World Baseball Classic. You're, you're Canadian, French Canadian. We are huge advocates of the WBC here. Uh, do you want to continue to see the WBC? And do you want to continue to, you know, for it to maybe be in season with major league guys? What are your thoughts on the WBC? Yeah, I mean that's that's actually pretty interesting because I think every four years we could we could do away of an all star and just put the WBC in the middle every four years or something like that. You know, I don't know. You got the Olympics now, so I think you got to take that into consideration if baseball goes back to the Olympics. WBC, what did they do with WBC? But I pitched the last WBC and I thought it was unbelievable. I mean, I wanted to pitch. I was 43 years old. I wanted to make a comeback just for that because I missed it when I played. And I think representing your country is really something that everybody needs to do. I mean, it's so special because it's it's really bigger than yourself. And he, I know when you go to the big leagues, you have the Dodger name on your front. But, you know, if you go to Pittsburgh, it's not the same thing as playing for your Team Canada. I think it's it just puts everything in perspective. And, I mean, to me, it's an it was an honor to be able to make that team. It was Ryan Dempster was there. A bunch of old guys came in, but a bunch of young guys. So it was a lot of fun. And we all know Canadians, when they get together, they have a lot of fun. So <laughs> we had a blast. I hope they keep it up. I hope they keep doing it because it's a fun event, I think. You see all the Dominican players when they get together. It's amazing the way they play the game and they play it for fun. And you see that you get a chance to see that. We don't have a chance to go to the Caribbean World Series, which I think everybody in baseball should go and check it out because the the love of the game is there. I mean, they play, they display. Like Major League guys play there still, and it's just amazing the the emotion. I've never been there. I just saw videos, but when I was in Miami with the WBC, we played Dominican or I think it was Puerto Rico versus Dominican. It was unbelievable. I mean, the stadium was just jumping. It was crazy. People were dancing all over. And I think that's the joy of baseball. And I think if you don't have a chance to see that, WBC can't pass on that because the guys, American players that don't go there, they need to see that. They need to see the passion of the game and why those kids play the game and why they're so – and why they have so much fun when they come over. It's not a job. for It's never been a job. They just play for fun, and that's their life. And I think it's something that everybody needs to see, even the fans need to see. And, uh, and before I throw it to Juan – I have to thank you for your candor because you're very, you've been very candid with us and I know you've been candid in other interviews, but you don't really see that uh, nowadays from, from older guys too, because a lot of older guys who uh, we, we just shut it down. You know, we're not going to talk about anything. We're going to kind of keep it close to the vest, but you've been very candid since your playing days. And, and as a fan, I have to thank you for that because you, that's something I think baseball also needs aside from the social media stuff is more transparency from, from its guys. And, and you've been, you know, even though you don't have, even though you're a social media influencer, but you don't have the giant, you know, presence per se, you, uh, you've still been very open. And again, I have to thank you as a fan. I mean, the, the formats you guys put, that's a difference now too. It's not a two or three or four or five minute interview. And I think if the format is very important, I think now the guys have a chance to explain themselves in longer time, longer interviews. And I think that's changed too. I think, you know, the older guys didn't have that back in the day. So they're guarded. I think it's another, it's another way to bring, you know, bring the fan back. And I think the human side of the game and, 
the human side of the players is what fans are attacked to, att- attracted to. And I think I don't care what anybody says. People want to see normal people. And I talked about the robot on the mound, but you know, the guys that do interviews during the season, we're all going to be robots talking, you know, best with the team and everything like that. But if there's good questions that you guys are asking, if they're really met for the good of the game and you see the passion and the questions, not just trying to trick the guys or anything like that, do you guys really want to know information about the certain person? I think the guys would be more than willing to do that. I love that for the good of the game. That's going to be the name of your memoir, your movie, right? <laughs> Hopefully, if someone's interested in it. <laughs> I love that for the good of the game. Hey, Eric, before we wrap things up, a couple of quick rapid fire questions. The 2004 team, uh, I, am I, correct me if I'm remembering this uh, the right way. At the end, when you guys got eliminated by the Cardinals, didn't you guys go and shake the Cardinals' hands after after that series? Because I don't think I've ever seen that in baseball. If if that's true, whose idea was it to do that? Was Larry Walker on the other team? So, oh, is that why? Uh-huh. Just because there was that another Canadian sense. over there? That makes sense now. Okay. Okay. Which other sports the- does that? Yeah. Yeah. Hockey, and I think that's something that needs to be done every single playoff games. Not every player, again, every time there's a, the, the series is over, I think we battled on the field. I think a handshake is the least that players can do. I think that would show the fans and everything. Hey, we fight, but then we come together, and then it's over. And it's just a game, and it's we're doing that for pleasure and for fun and for, for the love of the game. And I think that would be kind of cool to show because hockey does it, and I think it's the only sports that does it. And, I mean, you see football do it in the middle, as you know, one-on-one, whatever. But I think you have the whole team showing respect to each other. Hey, you beat us. Take our medicine and congratulations. I think that's the least be, like, the team should do, at least in the playoffs, too. So did you and Larry Walker, you guys? I don't remember. I, I remember talk, I remember talking about it. I don't I don't think it was me. I think it might have been him talking about it to other players and veterans. And I think this is a hockey thing. I think it was Larry Walker. I'm not 100% sure, I think. I can't really remember. I know Larry was on that team. Okay. And I was on that team. as Paul Quantrill was with us, too. And then there's a lot of guys that – hockey guys on there so i think there was something to show respect but i don't remember to be honest who exactly it came up with it might have been paul quantrill or someone else but i'm sure it was a canadian hockey or as a hockey guy well i i was at the game that the, the only game the dodgers won in that series so i gotta ask you now that i know that you're a compadre and you hang out with a bunch of latinos how fun was lima time that's what i'm gonna say lima time <laughs> I, I mean i love lima time and Rest oh, yeah. in peace. What a tragedy. But what that guy did for you guys in that series, wow. I mean, we were going through a drought. 1988 was a long time, and there was so much excitement. How was uh, – I know it, you've spoken very highly about Adrian Beltre, too. How, how were those guys in that uh, – in oh, the locker Belly, room? Belly, Beltre is one of the – my favorite person I ever played on the baseball field. Like, so respectful. I've known him ever since he was 15. 15 years old in, uh, in Savannah, Georgia. So <laughs> before he got busted for being too young. <laughs> so I think yeah, I've known him for a long time, but I think, you know, Lima time was just one of those guys that it was life. It was our life, all happy all the time. And I think that, that wasn't an act, right? That's who no, he was. Well, no, I mean, it was tiring sometimes. You're like, oh my God, he's <laughs> like, he doesn't stop. And he was always positive, always talking, always really upbeat. All, I mean, and that's contagious. And then a team, you need guys like that. You need, because if we're all guys like me and just quiet in our corner, well, you're going to have separate corners and everything. He was always the guy. I mean, I remember, I think it was Cinco de Mayo where they did the, 
Cinco de Mayo Day in Dodge Stadium in the parking lot. They have all the, the really right. cool Fiesta Los Dodgers. Yeah, yes, that's right. And they had the Eric Gagne lookalike contest and all that stuff. So he was there singing in front of fans. I mean, he was he was the life of the party. And I think that guy was just, you know, I mean, you, you don't see guys like that very often. You don't see guys that are so comfortable in them in their body and just love life to the fullest. And those guys are usually the guys that leave early. And that's you know, that's what happened, I think, with limit time and but if you talk, you just bring his name up and everybody smiles. You know what I mean? That's, that's the impact he's had on people. So that's pretty, really, really special. Is it true that he really wanted to be a merengue singer? <laughs> I think so. I think, I think that's, uh, that was his goal. I think so. Because <laughs> I heard that like, you know, I mean, around, you know, a couple years after that 2014 is when I started working in baseball and I'd heard that and I was like, there's no way that's real. There's no way that, and, and apparently, and I, he, he would get on stage when the Dodgers had a bunch of concerts. He would get on stage and sing. Yeah, there's all like, I don't know exactly what he was singing, but I know he, was, he would love to sing. He was always singing. <laughs> yeah. Um, the famous at bat with Barry Bonds. I've heard you talk about this, and I think I, I have to call BS, Eric, because the fact that he would only let you throw one off speed pitch and it couldn't be the changeup. It changes my whole view of that at bat. Is it? I mean, don't you, come on, call him out on it. What do you mean he's not going to let you throw your best pitch to try to we get? Had him a, we had a, we had a deal in Japan, and the deal was with if I got three runs or more as a lead, and that's not going to put the jeopardy, the game in jeopardy. I was going to face him, and I think, and I think actually the deal was all fastballs, but I forgot about it, and I threw a curveball, and he looked at me, he goes, "Hey," then I'm like, "All right, my bad." So I went all fastballs. That was, I think, because I don't remember it exact. Because I remember we were in Japan for the All Star Tour, and then Giambi was there. All the guys were there, and he kept yapping about no one's facing me, blah blah blah. He kept you know whining about it. I'm like, all right, Barry, if I get a chance, I'll face you. He goes, why don't you? I'm like, I'm not going to put my game, the game on the line, and I know you're not going to get an out. So I'm like, I'm not going to be that stupid. I'm not going to be that selfish. And then they, the, the when he presented himself on the on the box, I actually saw him in the. In the the hitting circle, the on deck circle, and he looked at me. He goes like this: like, "All right." And then that's what basically what we uh, had our deal going. If you could throw your whole arsenal, I think you would have got him. I, I just think it's BS. <laughs> it's absolute BS. Okay, so yeah, but it we... makes it a better. It makes it a way better story, though. <laughs> <laughs> and and being that you are the social media king now, influencer, <laughs> I get it. It's about telling good stories. All right, before we end the show, real quick. The Montreal Expos uh, uniform from the 1980s is the sickest uniform in the history of Major League Baseball. True or false? I agree 100%. 100%. I, I mean, I, I, I look love at the powder blues. Now. I love the powder oh. blues and the hat. The three-color hat. I mean, yeah. are you kidding me with that? That's, that's pretty sick. And I think even now, I mean, that's one of the best uniform of all time. I mean, you look at the Dodgers, it's classic, but the Expos, that's pretty baby blue, powder blue, whatever. It's pretty cool. Okay, Eric, so we're going to end the show. We're all about taco culture here on the Bleed Loss podcast. So, and we know you're a compadre, so you can't you disappoint us here. We need to know what is your favorite taco and where do you go get tacos when you were in L.A., when oh. you were playing or when you come back to L.A.? Oh, my God. The favorite taco was in Pasadena. Not Pasadena. Yeah, it was in Pasadena. I can't remember the name. And I think it's gone. It was a little trailer. I can't think of it, but it what was kind insane. of taco was go. it? Oh, I mean, it was just, I think it was a pork tacos. 
That's pork, right? Yes. yes. Well, there next you time you're in LA, go to the Central Market. There is a place called La Moreliana. Those are the oh, yeah. best carnitas. We brought some to John Hartung of Spectrum Sportsnet LA before the show. And uh, he was crying, right, babyface? Because he said it was too spicy for him. But those are the best <laughs> oh, carnitas in LA. I will I'll 100% try because we have a, I do a lot of uh, food trucks, you know, adventures. I do. I kind of do in Arizona. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of good Mexican food here, but I'll try it in LA for sure. 100%. Awesome. Yay. Thank well, you, guys. Uh, no, Eric Gagne, uh, 2003 Cy Young Award winner, CEO of uh, B45 Baseball, uh, Dodger legend. And thank you for joining us, man. Uh, again, the, where can the people find you if you want them to find you? And, uh, and, and whatever you want to plug, go ahead and plug it. Hey, nothing, man. Just you guys. You guys. It's all about you guys. I'm just. I really have a good time. You guys are a great question. It was a lot. What of a fun. Canadian way to end the show, yeah, right? We give, him, we give him an opportunity to be like brag about himself, and he's like, no, he's organic, like, organic growth, right? Yeah. I gave him the softball question of like, hey, there's Georgia St. Pierre, and then there's you, and he went everyone else. So I mean, they're very Canadian, freaking Canadians, man. Right? I uh, love it. I love it. Well, uh, on that note. Uh, catch him he didn't pump, pimp his social but i will it's uh at eric gagne 38 on twitter find him at uh add to his social following and uh and again thank you for joining us eric we'd love to have you back anytime thank you join my 605 followers <laughs> <laughs> we will i will follow you right now as a matter of fact after this is done thanks again eric all right guys thank you guys have a good one this is Justin Brule with the Los Angeles Dodgers, and you're listening to the Bleed Loves Podcast. And there you have it. Huge thanks to Eric Gagne for joining us in the Carnasada. And uh, that was great. The good times. Good conversation. Please, if you're not, go following him at EricGagne38 on Twitter. Super easy to remember. Super easy to find. So go find him. Again, this podcast was presented by our friends and our partners at Bet Online. They continue to be the number one source for all of your betting needs and all of your sports info. You can find all of the latest sports developments, including your updated odds for these NBA playoffs. Even though the Los Angeles Lakers are not in, you can still make bets. Fights, of course, MLB is back, so you can make all those bets. They continue to be your source for all of your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so head to the website today, use your mobile device, whichever you want to do, and join. And use our promo code BELIEVE, which is B-L-E-A-V, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, promo code is B-L-E-A-V. Use that promo code. Go do the damn thing. Huge thanks to BetOnline for presenting the podcast once again. BetOnline, where the game starts. Huge thanks to all of you for uh, subscribing, rating, reviewing. If you're not subscribed and you're listening to this, please subscribe. Would really appreciate it. But on that note, thanks again, and we'll catch you down the road, and go Dodgers. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Please subscribe and leave a review to the Bleed Lows Podcast. The Bleed Lows Podcast is a Dodgers Beat production.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.